Hello and welcome to this special podcast live from Strange Loop 2022. In this series, we are interviewing the awesome crowd at the conference to learn more about their interests and projects. Today, we have here with us Josh Goldberg, who is open source developer. Josh, thank you for being here today. Uh, how are you? I'm doing great. I'm excited to be here. Thanks for having me. Oh, fantastic. How are you? All right. I'm, I'm very good. A bit jet lagged. <laughs> uh, we'll try to do our best, of course. So is this your first strange loop, by the way? This is my first strange loop. All right. The first time in St. Louis, maybe as well? First time in the state that I can think of. All right. All right. So any specific reason to come to strange loop? Well, I think there's a lot of good stuff happening here, a lot of good talks and workshops. Um, I actually was originally going to give a workshop, though we had to cancel it. Uh -huh. So I'm just happy to be back in in-person conferences this year and networking with all sorts of cool people, like you mentioned. All right. So given that, like at this point, this podcast will probably go live some point after the conference. So people will be able to watch the talks online. Is there anything you would like to suggest from the program that maybe is worth mentioning or something that piques your interest? Yeah, I'm actually really excited about the monad. I love you now get out of my type system talk. <laughs> I feel like monads are something that come up a lot, especially with, you know, closure and more functional programmers. And although I really liked FP and its ideas, I have never managed to remember what a monad is for more than a week at a time. I learn it once a year on, out of necessity and then forget it. So I'm very excited about this talk. There's so many monad tutorials. Yeah. And many definitions. So can you tell us a bit about your background to begin with, you know, maybe school or work or career? Where are you coming from? Sure. I grew up in New York, upstate, lived in Seattle for a few years, working at Microsoft as a front end slash full stack developer. Then I moved back to New York City, down to, to work as a front end developer at Codecademy. For most of that time, we were on the web platform team. So I have kind of a background partially in full stack, partially in web platform developer tooling for front end. Uh, but a little more than six months ago, I quit my job, took off February, and then started in March as a full-time open source developer. I work on static analysis tools in the TypeScript ecosystem, uh, most notably TypeScript ESLint, which is the tooling that lets you run ESLint on TypeScript code. And I've got a few pet projects on the side that I'm hoping to spend more time on soon eventually which I think everyone is able to say. So you've been a developer for how long at this point? My first tech internship was summer 2012, first full-time role, summer of 2015. So a little more than seven years. All right. And it was always uh, more mostly on the front-end side or not necessarily? I started off in high school in Java and then actually did a lot of C++ in college. Um, so I'd say I was full stack up through maybe 2016. And then after that, I started moving a lot more heavily towards the front end. I like the front end. It's, it's a good place to be. I feel like it's growing really rapidly and there's a lot of new stuff coming out each year that makes it an exciting yeah. time to be around. Yeah. I had a question regarding what, what do you think about web development in 2022? <laughs> Comparing it with 10 years ago, is it better? Is it worse? That must be definitely better, right? But in which way? Well, yes, if it weren't better, I don't think people would keep doing it. It's definitely better. The churn comes and goes. There was a period when React and Webpack were everything, and now we're moving to things like Solid and Vite and even new flavors of those like Remix and Next. But I think it's, it's a great place to be. Um, we're constantly figuring out newer and better ways of doing things, whether it's better programming paradigms like TypeScript rather than JavaScript, or UI framework paradigms like hooks and React instead of class components. 
So even though there is a lot of churn in the ecosystem, that pain is like the high school posters say, weakness leaving the body. It's us learning and doing and getting better. So although there is, there is some pain associated with being a front-end developer now, if you look back at the projects like 10, even five years ago, how did we, how did we live like that? That was ridiculous. It's so much worse. So yeah, I think it's great, a little annoying, but definitely great. Why specifically TypeScript, also many other JavaScript dialects or redesigns of JavaScript? Why specifically TypeScript? What do you think is important about TypeScript? I feel like there's a hidden question in there of why aren't you enthusing about Clojure and Clojure script and all that? But there are great languages. Um, I personally really like TypeScript. I think most programming language and in general, most technological innovations that have really hit mainstream success have been at least somewhat incremental improvements on what came before them. Although it's wonderful to have drastic rewrites or completely better languages, like I think it's arguably true that Clojure is better than most other programming languages. It's hard for people to adopt things like that, that are so new and different. Like going from Java to Clojure is much different than say going from Java to Kotlin. Mm -hmm. So I like TypeScript because it lets us use the same technological basis as JavaScript and keep all those same learnings and tooling advances as JavaScript while still getting many, but not all of the benefits of a truly beautiful, excellent, perfect type system. That being said, I do wish we all would just switch to closure and closure script or whatever equivalent of those. It oh. would be nice. All right. Oh, well, thanks for the plug. I, yeah. You've learned about my background, I, I guess, uh, a little bit. I did. I did listen to a podcast episode of two oh, years oh, focused oh. around closure. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's my specialty, but yes, no, I'm always, um, learning and understanding what other people think about other languages. And that's why I'm strange loop. Yep. One of the, the main reasons. So we described during the opening of the interview that you are an open source developer. What was your first experience with open source, by the way? Hmm. It was accidental. In college, I made this terribly programmed ripoff of the original Super Mario Brothers called Full Screen Mario. Um, I put it on GitHub because GitHub was free code hosting and there were a lot of tutorials and then it went viral and I got open source attention, which kind of thrust me into the world of open source, which I'm very glad to have happened. Uh, open source is wonderful. I think it's an amazing way to build software and I'm always excited to be a part of it. But since then, a lot of the tooling that I've really loved and come to want to use like TypeScript and VS code and all these other smaller projects in the JavaScript ecosystem, they all seem to revolve around open source. Like any sort of package manager is open source. Any like cute little utility library that you want to pull in is open source. So just getting more and more involved in that world, I kind of come to understand that that's where I really want to be working in the open with randos on the internet and the occasional dedicated maintainer. It's a fun time. Yeah. So you, you worked on open source now for a bit. Would you share your experience? So you now full-time open source developer, what does it mean exactly? It means that I spend half my time scrounging for money, doing things like podcasts, which I do enjoy, uh, conference talks, blogs. Um, I also wrote a book on TypeScript, both for a reputation play and because I think that it's good to have good books on TypeScript. Um, a lot of my time is spent maintaining. So looking at issues and pull requests that people have sent in to mostly TypeScript BS Lint, the main repo I maintain or help maintain. I also try to spend time kind of looking at the macro trends of the tooling that I work around. Like where is the TypeScript ecosystem going? Is there another ecosystem I would like to move to such as Rust? 
if I just had infinite time, I probably would become a joint Rust TypeScript programmer. Alas, who has infinite time? I'll also say that as another learning, there is a certain sense of self-fulfillment that I'm realizing over the last few months I don't have that makes it much easier to work in open source. You don't have a backing product team or a group of developers on your team that you work with day to day. So it's very hard for me to kind of justify to myself that I'm making progress on things mm -hmm. without such clear roadmaps and peer feedback and people that I'm mentoring or being mentored by. So kind of taking a step back once every week or three and looking at my achievements or lack thereof holistically and understanding whether I've done a good job in that period is something that I think many people, myself included, kind of struggle with. And it can be a little depressing sometimes to, to not do that and then think, oh my God, I've wasted the last month until you go back and look at all like the doc side improvements and features and stuff that you've shipped. Mm -hmm. So that's been a top of mind for me lately. Given that it's not the usual nine to five, five days a week kind of job, how do you structure your day? How do you understand what, the, what are the next priorities? Are you chasing like who is screaming louder on an issue or how does it work? That's a great question. I try to treat it like a nine to five job, actually. I try not to spend more than eight hours a day. When I was a full-time employee developer, I like kept track of my hours and kept them to eight hours a day on average. If I went under one day, I'd go over the next and vice versa. And I also try to not allow emotions get in the way of the open source. If someone is shouting angrily on an issue, they might be a jerk, or maybe it's a language barrier, or maybe this caused a bug in production that nearly cost them their job or something. So I try to treat them like customers and not angry people on the street yelling at me. Um, I also try to treat myself once in a while, you know, like go on vacation or something. When you work directly for consulting plus open source sponsorship money, it's, you're, it's hard to distance yourself from the money. And I still feel this kind of instinctive guilt of I'm spending $20 on a coffee and pastry plus tip that is like my monthly income from two sponsors. It's like, a, it's kind of a weird feeling. Mm, yeah. Well, what do you think was the most fulfilling experience during this open source period? Ooh. Once in a while, someone on Twitter will reference a docs page or feature that I wrote for TypeScript ES Lint, and that makes me feel so incredibly happy. Like without that product team and user research and dedicated surveys, I, again, don't really have great visibility into my progress. So people saying, wow, this page really answered my question. That, that is that, that joyous, that's the chocolate cake at the end of a boring dinner that, that really makes it all seem like it was worth it. Why do you think open source is important? Why, why this dedication to open source? Oh, so I'm glad you asked. <laughs> I'm not one of the people that thinks that everything should be open source. Money is important. People need money to live. That is the capitalist world we live in. Sparkle hands emojis. Um, but open source carries with it a lot of benefits. Developing in the open is a much more inclusive model than corporate or consultant models. Developing in the open means anyone can contribute, anyone can read, anyone can learn. It's much easier to onboard people when inherently your project is tailored for strangers. So both giant projects like Git and TypeScript and Linux, as well as smaller projects like the class names utility and such, they have much better community involvement and visibility. But taking a step back, the industry works like the pain weakness, leaving the body situation. It works through waves of innovation, um, like programming languages or UI frameworks or whatever you're looking at. 
things get better over time by us iterating on things and constantly trying new stuff. So the more we're able to try new things and iterate in the ecosystem, the faster the ecosystem grows. And it's much easier to do that when everything is in the open, you can switch back and forth between things willy nilly. So I think open source is pushing the software worlds faster than it would possibly ever be able to go in non-open source models, which is really lovely. Nice. So how can we support you as a community of developers, new work? I will both answer the question of how can we support community? And then I will first apologies. Also plug myself. You can support me specifically by giving me money on GitHub sponsors or sponsoring types would be a slint. But that, that is honestly one of the big ways. There's so little money in open source. I am a, not, you know, top notch person, but like, I'm one of the relatively more well-known TypeScript people within the TypeScript community. And I barely earn federal minimum wage right now. Like I left a six figure, like 200K plus job in order to do open source. That takes a lot of commitment. I think a little bit of courage, perhaps some wild stupidity on my part, financially speaking. And there's so few people who are able to make this work and actually get like state minimum wage, like let alone anywhere near a tech salary. Mm -hmm. There's been a running joke on Twitter about PHP developers driving Lamborghinis because a few PHP devs got rich, but that, that is a joke. Like that rarely happens. So convincing yourself or, and, or your company to give money to open source, to secure your supply chain, to help advance the projects that you and your company rely on, that's crucial. Um, I'd say that's one of the big ones. Also part two of two, I'd say knowledge and education is important. A lot of people don't understand open source. They don't know that you can just go on a repo and upvote an issue or file an issue, send a pull request. Being able to meaningfully act in open source is a big level up for any developer. So I, I definitely encourage people get involved, do Hacktoberfest, read the GitHub manual. It's quite good. Like maybe even submit an issue or pull request yourself. And what specifically to help you as an individual, like in your profession, what, what can we do? Is that a way to support you? Yeah, definitely buy my book, learning TypeScript, give me money. That's for people who have the money to spend on those things. If you don't want to spend or can't spend the money on, on my specific stuff, I'd say go to the projects that you feel are valuable to you, especially if they feel understaffed and try helping them out, even contributing. For TypeScript ESLint specifically, we're always looking for people to suggest features, to write documentation, point out where docs are missing so we can write them. We, we love community involvement. It's what keeps the project going and what keeps me happy. So even if it's an issue as simple as I tried using you, it sucked, it broke in these three ways. Here's how it's broken. File those three issues and let me know so I can fix it for you. Would love to. All right. All right. What was the biggest challenge in writing a TypeScript book? Did the generics chapter. <laughs> generics are the worst. They're super important, very useful, but conceptually it is so hard to explain generics type parameters and arguments to people. And generally the way you have to structure a book is to understand which concepts require which other concepts. You, you have to do a, a graph search on your concepts. The concept of a generic requires the concept of, let's say an interface or type in general to understand that things exist in the type system. That explains, or pardon me, that requires explaining what a type system is in the first place, which requires explaining why JavaScript is terrible without a type system at scale and so on and so forth. So figuring out how to structure the book, which chapters relied on which other chapters was hard. Another small example is 
in order to explain functions, you kind of need to explain arrays because functions have rest parameters, which is an array type. But in order to explain arrays, you need to explain functions because array methods are functions, which are themselves generic. So it's this lovely catch 22 cycle of it's impossible to correctly teach those three concepts. You have to jump somewhere. All right, but hopefully you managed to, and uh, yeah, <laughs> we'll figure it out by your book. Is there anything that we didn't cover that you would like to plug? Ooh. We'll definitely use TypeScript as Slint. I'd say get involved in your communities. Oh, listeners, if you're listening to this podcast, that means you've already gone out of your way to do some sort of developer education stuff for yourself. So whether it's getting involved on Twitter or going to conferences, the, the dev community is better when people get more involved and make their voices heard in a polite, respectful, caring way. So please do. All right. All right. Well, I think we are at the end of our interview. So Josh, uh, thank you again for joining us today. It was a pleasure to learn something new and uh, hear a little bit about how we should behave in front of open source and what <laughs> open source mean a little more. So thank you very much and uh, enjoy the rest of the conference. Thanks. Likewise. Hope the jet lag gets better. <laughs> yeah, it will get better. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs>